0: In this episode of Common Sense Media, we'll be chatting with Andrew Ward. He's written for such publications as High Times, Benzinga, Business Insider, and Rolling Stone Magazine. His first book, Cannabis Jobs, can you see it, was released in 2019 and is available on Amazon. We will link it below. His new book, Marijuana Etiquette, has just come out, also available at Amazon or through Simon & Schuster. Andrew, thanks for being here. Welcome, man. It's good to see you. Yeah.
1: Thanks, Will. Thanks for having me. I appreciate being on. Uh, Always great to talk to you.
0: Yeah, I feel like we've known each
1: other for a good while in cannabis.
0: Totally. I was just going to say, like, it's fun to come back to some of these conversations with people who, uh, you know, have been doing it as long, if not a little longer than than I've been doing it. Kind of in the industry and and just parallel the thing and, you know, check in and be like, hey, man, you still alive in there? You good? (laughs) You cool? How are you doing? (laughs) Yeah. And then every so often I see a book drop and I'm like, yeah, my guy's doing it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, man. Thanks. You know, it's awesome. You know, I appreciate you've always reached out whenever you've had clients that might be uh, someone I can help out with or link up with, you know, it's always great uh, getting those sort of connections from people. So, you know, that support has always been awesome. Uh, I know we kind of, first started out working in branding, kind of similar on the same side of things. Right. And then, you know, branching out both of us over the years, but, uh, it's cool to see Trying those to the apply
0: core. our, our artistic nerdiness to this thing that we love so much. Right.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. You know, with writing, that was kind of why I got into it. Cause I was just like, Hey man, there's not a lot of people that know the business side of it. And I know that, And you know, I've never called myself a journalist, but I think I can put a journalist hat on pretty well. So it's like, oh, yeah. if you could strike a balance between those two things, you can be pretty beneficial.
0: Absolutely. I, and, and we're going to get there. I ask, this is the f- fourth time I've asked this this season, but I've been asking it to all of my Jersey uh, guests. You're, mm-hmm. you're in, in New York city now, uh, Taylor ham or pork roll.
1: I mean, it's pork roll. It's a hundred percent pork right. roll.
0: Southern Jersey, Southern. Yeah, Jersey got a Southern, I, So Zach, my uh, CMO will be very happy. I think you're maybe, I don't think, I think we've been having some Northern Jersey people mostly come in, but it's okay. Well,
1: I mean, it's, it's reading. It's not that hard. It's the, the label says pork roll on Taylor brand. It pork does. Roll, and then it says, doesn't say Taylor ham on pork roll or anything else. So, I mean, if you're being pragmatic about it, I just think people are too tied up in their emotions. They just need to see the reality of it. Just, just face
0: facts, people face facts.
1: It's um, essentially like cannabis legalization. You just have to come around to what the facts
0: everybody's are. Everybody's got a name for it somewhere. It's called it one thing, tomato tomato. My yeah. mother-in-law, speaking of, the only person I've ever met in my life, in my life. and I've been to London uh, <laughs> to say tomato.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't like Goodness. that. That's, that's that's well, she's great. great that pota- Otherwise,
0: she's great. <laughs> but as long as potato? no one says potato. As long
1: as she doesn't say potato.
0: Trust me, this has been a this is the debate that she and I have. Um, I am fascinated by the journey of an author. I romanticize the projection of Hunter, Hemingway, Kerouac, ironically all ending not so romantically. Uh, so I'm not putting that on you, uh, but you know, there's there's key elements to um, an author's journey, uh, and I don't necessarily mean the self-destructive parts of it. Again, I, I mean just experiencing life. Uh, the importance of experience how do you uh, what do you think about that
1: uh yeah you know i mean i it's kind of weird i don't i think it's kind of i have a good case of uh, imposter syndrome because i didn't follow the path of those writers in any way um my publisher reached out to me to get these books started so you know uh, even just the way of how they went about getting those books are completely different um but you know i think experience and you know the path is you know basically what shapes everyone and especially anytime you're in a creative field um you know those experience good bad negative uh indifferent you know they all kind of help shape you and uh mm-hmm. you just got to know how to use them and harness them and you know um uh, kind of channel them into, uh, using that your creativity. Um, sure. I would definitely I mean, love research to follow and
0: Creativity them. are like the primary things there, but your experience has to then shape all of that into, you know, whatever you're working on.
1: Yeah. I mean, you can have all the knowledge in the world, but if you don't know how to apply it or you haven't had the experiences to shape it, you really won't be able to know how to implement it properly. Um, right. so yeah, you have to go through it all. Um, and uh, yeah, I would, I mean, I would love to follow the Kerouac path and, you know, all the, the, all the classic writers and all that sort of stuff,
0: but uh, maybe just maybe with a, go with, a without route. the grisly, terrible endings for all of them.
1: Yeah. but you know, I mean, again, <laughs> a lot of them drank and I smoked pot. So I don't know. I feel like there's a difference already there.
0: Yeah. Big time, big time. Um, your bio mentions uh, that an early inspiration for you were horror movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's what inspired you to write. Uh, it's, kind of funny because uh horror is what inspired me to dance i saw thriller in uh, Ah. 1985 and i just wanted to dance andrew
1: i love it i love it man uh i
0: i have horror movie ptsd i am like terrible with horror The uh, okay let me pull this one out of complete randomness there is a disney horror movie Mm -hmm. like uh uh live action I think it was probably, it's probably from like maybe 1980 or like the late seventies or something. Uh, It's called the watcher in the woods. And I don't even think it's a horror movie. It's like a Disney horror movie. Do you know this movie?
1: It sounds familiar, but I can't recall it all. Okay. Let me
0: paint a picture for you. Let's hear it. so, So the game, so it's this group, these little kids and they have a game called the watcher in the woods. And again, I haven't seen this since I was six, but it's, completely ruined my life i'm 41 and i'm talking to you about it <laughs> so the the plot is these kids go into some church uh in the middle of the woods uh and they put a blindfold on you know some little girl puts a blindfold on uh, and they start doing the watcher in the woods chant or whatever and the church bell falls on this girl and she now haunts <laughs> the woods but this girl and she looks like maybe alice in wonderland or something like that right she's a little a little girl blue dress whatever but mm-hmm. she's got this blindfold on and her, this girl terrified me my whole life <laughs> with the okay. you've never you've never you haven't seen that one I have not but I'm
1: like I'm feeling like this kind of is like the are you afraid of the dark shows that I had it's as a kid li- it's, it's like it's horror. horror. yeah,
0: yeah it's, it's like kid horror. horror if i watch yeah. this movie today i'd be like what a what a baby i was oh yeah but this uh, I, little girl, but I'm curious how, how horror kind of like, what was, what was the connection there for you? She definitely wasn't
1: that for me. I loved horror right out the jump. I love getting scared. Um, ET was the first thing that gave me a scare. I didn't know. Yeah. I, I honestly thought he was a big piece of poop as a three-year-old and That's I was hilarious. just afraid and then I was just like, oh, he's not, he's a cool dude. All right. And I, I embraced like the monster and my cousin on What's the other the scariest
0: hand, scariest scene in that movie.
1: Oh, there is one in ET. I mean, maybe oh, when he's like, oh, there
0: definitely is one. Now,
1: I—I mean, when the government comes after ET, that's maybe. the one.
0: that's. yeah, the scene I mean, when they're yeah, all in okay, the house. Okay. <laughs> fair for fair.
1: Okay, yeah. Because yeah. uh, I was thinking of the moment when he was, like, first giving him the M&M or the Reese's pieces and the uh-huh. fingers come out. And as a kid, I was like, that was scary for a minute. But then I was like, oh, he's that a is cool scary. dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, definitely the feds. You're right. You're right. The feds are.
0: Feds, they've I always mean... been scaring us.
1: <laughs> I mean, yeah. It, even if it's not a horror film, when the feds are involved, it's typically going to be a horror scene. Oh, um Yeah, man. But you know, uh, those movies were definitely like kid horror films were fun. Um, There's a movie called Little Monsters. I don't know if you remember with Fred Savage Uh,
0: was uh, uh, Howie Mandel in that.
1: Yeah, Howie Mandel was the monster. And my cousin Phil was absolutely terrified of that movie and me and his little brother who like is kind of like my, like good, my favorite cousin. Now we just laughed at him the whole time. It was like, you're afraid of this movie. It was like, it's a comedy. And he was just terrified of Howie Mandel. And I was just, yeah, I, lo- I yeah, love Howie kid Mandel's movies. Right like, I, I mean, I guess, I don't know. I, I mean, he, he's a germaphobe, down,
0: which, you know, yeah,
1: yeah. he, he's more he's scared bold. of the world than he's more scared of the world than we are of him.
0: So, Definitely. or
1: we should be of him, I guess.
0: Um. So, so, I mean, you love them. You wanted to write them
1: yeah i mean i so the first horror movie that actually got me into want to write was um scream the Wes craven movie right. yeah for sure. so i i saw that when i was like 10 11 and i was like i could write this and you know, not in a cocky way but i was like i could do this this seems like a pretty simple story to write like you know monsters sure. and it's i would fun. just write yeah and i wrote very terrible stories for the next like 10 years trying to craft stuff and uh i did screenplays and you know sometimes they were horror sometimes they weren't but horror always kicked it off horror is still my favorite genre um during covid i basically dove into horror and documentaries more than anything so uh i picked up a nice amount of uh b and c horror films as well as revisiting a lot of like classics from the old days that i haven't seen in a few years and uh yeah i love horror films always will they're they're well, fun good scares
0: that little jerk from the watcher in the woods really messed me up but maybe maybe i should give it another go i feel like really the last actual horror film i maybe saw was probably the ring
1: probably the, like the ring the ring was gnarly the japanese yeah, version is I mean, much was, more terrifying
0: yeah i was like 25 when it came out too so i was and i was scared shitless i'm like i'm done i'm done
1: <laughs> it, you know i you know what it is you i think your your problem is you need to stop watching horror films with little girls as the antagonist
0: that's what it that's, is they scare me
1: <laughs> i think you need to go for like monsters or dudes
0: monsters. Or, you or so. just, i mean the Sunderman
1: movie is awful well yeah, kaiju kaiju is kaiju is intense, man. Japanese horror doesn't mess around. Don't watch a Takashi Mike film unless you're looking to have your stomach turned.
0: <laughs> I was watching, I remember watching The Ring uh with my still best friend Dave. Um, and he had seen it and he knew that I didn't like horror movies, and we were high, high high. Uh and I guess part of the movie is you watch this, you watch the you watch a movie. The yeah. character in the movie watches a movie and then receives a phone call saying that they're going to die or something like that. Yep. And I remember the phone rang on the TV and my phone rang exactly at the same time cuz he called me <laughs> cuz my friend called him. Like, of course. This is I can't like I can't watch it without someone messing with me.
1: You gotta, I don't know, man. You got, i you know, horror isn't for everyone, I will say that. Um, <laughs> but you know, I don't know. I'm they're, just a they're... sensitive
0: guy, Andrew. I'm just a sensitive guy.
1: We'll find um, something for you, Will. We'll make it work. Okay. I'll, I'm sure I, there's I'll... a weed horror film or there'll be one soon enough, anyway. Oh,
0: probably is one.
1: I wrote a screenplay about the zombie weed horror film a couple of years ago, but uh, no one picked it up,
0: surprisingly. That's surprisingly, that it's... that genre is still, still hot.
1: Still oh my hot. god. Yeah, every time they say no one's accepting scripts for zombies, they greenlight five more zombie projects. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe I just got to get Dave Batista involved.
0: Oh man, that movie! I could watch four minutes of it and I had to turn it off.
1: <laughs> I didn't. I have been meaning to not check it out for a while.
0: Don't check it out. It's it's terrible. You, I, I, I haven't read your screenplay. I guarantee you, it's ten thousand times better than that movie. Um, I, I'm I mean, gonna
1: remain, remain neutral in case Netflix greenlights any future you're projects. Watching. Yeah, I know they definitely they might. watch
0: this podcast.
1: You um, never know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I definitely do. <laughs> Fair. Uh, All right. Su- supporting oneself through art, which I would, I mean, writing is for sure that. Um, it's super challenging. I, you know, before I entered my professional career post college, but pre being a real person, I was a musician in a in a rock band and we you know for years traveled the country uh apples and oranges but that idea of of kind of throwing, inflicting pain inflicting suffering onto yourself because despite uh ambition talent uh timing all of these things the chances are you're not going to succeed professionally right that's just that's just a lot in life and i'm not talking about you i'm talking about artists no yeah yeah. right so i'm i'm and that drive is heartbreaking right i mean for me right so now i am talking about me once you realize that the dream is over that's heartbreaking there's still there's for sure uh uh things to be learned from those experiences of of subjecting oneself to uh torture (laughs) seemingly (laughs) Uh, I'm curious your thoughts on it. Uh, You, you know, you've been actually doing this professionally and uh, making a a good living off this for, for a while now, but I'm curious about that, that time before where, you know um, you were pursuing your art, you were pursuing your art.
1: Yeah. You know um, I think it's, I don't know, it's difficult because there are a lot of people that don't succeed. It is a very small uh, window of success, you know, um, at times it felt like it was almost as minimal as, you know, trying to become a professional athlete, which is, you know,
0: know, barely,
1: but at the same time, now that I'm on the other side, and this is kind of what I'm trying to do with people whenever I can is, you know, it's not as difficult as people make it out to be. Um, I think the biggest thing is, you know, the, there's a saying I I was reminded of recently is, you know, it's 90% business, 10% talent. Um, yep. yeah, it's unfair that you're not, you know, that the best artist or the best writer isn't at the top of the game or isn't there. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's management, you have to manage yourself. And, you know, you know, some people don't want to call themselves brands, they don't want to take themselves seriously in that regard. And it's like, fine, you don't have to, but it's how the business is navigating. And if you want to make it to the top, or you want to make it and, you know, get involved in it, you do have to do it to a certain degree. Um, So, you know, you have to work with your craft, but you have to learn the business. And I think that's, you know, when you were talking about it, I was kind of almost getting annoyed with it because I was thinking about like all the colleges and education courses where it's like people like yeah just focus on your craft and focus on creativity which is obviously important and you have to do that but like can we dedicate a class or even a half hour to just be like okay now here's how you manage your books and here's how you you use some of that income to you know actually get word of mouth marketing for yourself without selling out like you know because there's ways to do it it's just you, I, I've always likened myself to the raptors in Jurassic Park in the first movie, where it's like they throw themselves at the electric fence every day, just yeah. trying at different spots until they find a vulnerability to get through, and like that's it, you know. And it's like I wish someone just was like, "Oh, if you go over there, you know, that's the weak spot. Like, go in there and you can do it." Because like, if you look at people's talent now that you're on the other side, you're like, okay, all you need to do is maybe take one course in business management here, or just talk to an executive here, and then hone your pitches a little bit and you can start getting inroads and like Mm -hmm. networking and things like that. I just feel like, you know, uh, that's kind of, you know, I think there is a hard level of success in the industry and there's still, you know, a lot of people will fail, but I think if people were given the tools on how to manage their brand or how to even just get themselves in front of the right people, there could be a lot more success to it.
0: I, I totally agree. That's such an interesting way to put it, especially your, your Raptor analogy, which I love. Um, but My next tattoo that, <laughs> uh, clever girl uh i uh <laughs> i res- i respect that so much because like especially coming from uh maybe a slightly entitled uh upbringing and and then trying to be an artist there for and now i'm obviously learning myself but there's uh a level of naivete right so not understanding that uh practicing my scales all day doesn't put me necessarily at Madison square garden or w- whatever. Right. It's mm-hmm. like, there is, um, there's hustle involved too. There is, there is business, like, you know, the skills that you'll need to know. I wonder if uh, not talking about those in college and focusing on the skills, uh, what sort of long-term effect that has meaning like, are people more apt to quit? because they can't figure out that part of it after college or whatever? Or is it, um, hmm. yeah, I can see. Yeah, go ahead.
1: I mean, I could definitely see that being a part of it too. I think, you know, there are some, not all colleges and training programs, but a lot of them will just be like, you know, it's idealistic. It's like, yeah, everyone's going to be good as long as you keep doing it. And it's like, no, some creative fields, you're just not cut out for And You know, you know, you won't be good at it or some of like you are good at it, but like, here's how you deal with setback. You know, a lot of times, again, like same thing with like money management and branding and things like that, teach creatives how to deal with setback. You know, I think even non-creative people need to know, you know, here's what happens when you lose your job. Here's what happens when your money train gets derailed by, you know, a company shutting down or, you know, understanding that it's not even just your fault sometimes when you lose a job. And then sometimes in owning up when it is your fault and understand how to learn from that and get better. You know, um, I think a lot of it is just ill preparation for um, artists and creatives. And, you know, I don't know, in a broader scale, we should just improve the whole education system, maybe just to uh, revise it to where the modern day is, because I don't know, we still teaching like it's like 50, 60 years ago.
0: Totally. I was, I just read like, so I, I grew up in Rhode Island and I just read the other day that Rhode Island is now uh, making it mandatory that there's financial literacy classes in public school. And I, I don't know, like, it never occurred to me <clears throat> that that should be a thing. I mean, of course it should. Yeah. But it's just like, I was just like, wow. But it's the same, same idea. Like there, the, you know, you spend all this time figuring out uh, how to be good at something. Meanwhile, there's, A million things that are are actually important to uh, that go into being good at a thing, right? Uh, Yeah. In addition to actually being good at it.
1: Yeah. And if you had those, it would provide a foundational element. You know, like there's very few jobs out there where you follow a set path and that's how you get a job, you know, like legal, medical, maybe you can say, and then a few others, you know, there's a pathway to it. But it, a lot of them, like creative, is just like, oh, it's, it's uncertain, just go out there. And it's like, well, if you give these people these skills, they have the foundational elements. And the worst case is they fall back and have these rudimentary job skills that will help them get jobs elsewhere, or they can find a job and support themselves and continue their art, or, you know, hopefully it helps build them and they know how to manage their brand and, you know, still be their authentic creative self or whatever direction they want to go in. Um yeah, I I just think providing people with more education on how to do it um, would, you know, close that success failure gap a little bit. It would still be minimal of success just because there's not a ton of space or investment in there. But, you know, it's not as hard. You just got to provide the education to it. So I also think people like me in my in my position, you know, um, you got to help people when you can give advice when you can. Um, But then also, you know, when there's big companies and things like that, you know, there is opportunity to make money, too, um, and teach and consult. So, you know go the ethical route. You know, if people are like financially hard up and you know, uh, are in need of the education, you know, maybe consider doing some pro bono work when you can. And then otherwise, you know, it's actually a revenue stream for you too. And, you know, start teaching people. A lot of people really uh, want to benefit from that, especially if you charge, you know, a fair rate or at least understand uh, the circumstances they're coming from.
0: 100%. I, I got to talk to um, this young woman, Alexandra Fasulo a couple weeks ago, and she's gained quite a bit of traction lately because she's uh she was very successful on fiverr so she had all the you know she she left her job and and just basically went to fiverr to start copywriting and has turned that into a six-figure career um, wow just freelancing and i'm curious kind of your perspective on that and and how how best you feel how best you think creatives writers uh designers, whatever, can diversify themselves without kind of burning out, you know. So you it's kind of about like uh keeping your eye on the on the prize, right? But there as you're getting to the prize, you're doing maybe five different things.
1: Yeah. So my headphone cut yelled right when you said diversify, but basically you said like how do you diversify while keeping your eye on the prize, is that correct?
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm just yeah, exactly. You know, surviving while trying to basically achieve your goal.
1: Yeah. A hundred percent. You know, um, and I think that's dealing with setbacks, you know, um, I got into cannabis writing in 2017 and I definitely was not able to be a full-fledged cannabis writer the first year out. Um, probably took me about two and a half, three years before I could say I had my first month where I was hundred percent earning revenue from cannabis. Um, yeah, you gotta, you gotta know, um, you know, that, it's okay to take side projects it's okay to you know pick up stuff that might not be your most glamorous you don't have to put on your resume you don't have to tout it you know as long as you're not doing something that's corrupt or unethical or going against what you're trying to do you know you're making money you're trying to survive uh, just like everyone else is um my pro- i found an avenue because i'd worked in offices prior to um getting into freelance so one of the areas i worked on was a lot was uh hr so i did a lot of human resources a lot of staffing you know they were not fun they weren't glamorous but i wrote for several platforms of management and content you know packaging around them and you know trying to brand them you know, it was boring and it wasn't fun, but I'm appreciative of them. Um, I also had a few successes with foreign language companies. Um, sure. the hardest ones were tech. I have I'm very tech inept when it comes to things and they would give me these primers and I would just dive into Google and have to like research them. And it was funny because the one thing I did notice was when you're doing those projects, when you're you know trying to keep eye on the prize, but you have to sustain those a lot of those sustained projects required so much more research because I didn't have the level of expertise that I had in cannabis. Nowadays is you know i can breeze through an article for the most part because i know what i'm talking about right away but it was just like tech, even HR that I knew a little bit of, I was just like, oh my God, I have to research this term to make sure this is right. I have to make sure that this is not just a process that I thought was normal from this company I worked at. And like, yeah, now Yeah, every, that...
0: every vertical has its own lexicon.
1: Oh my God, yeah. Brand, brand Bibles out the butt. That's, if you're going to get in a, any sort of marketing, whether it's cannabis or otherwise, um, you're get ready to have some brand Bibles. You are going to be like a religious scholar of brands by the end of that.
0: <laughs> I'm curious about- um you touched upon it a little earlier just about, okay, so I, I'm a good writer now. What do I do? Um, those lessons you, you learned kind of by throwing yourself into the fire. What, what are some, what are some of those lessons that maybe, you know, some of our listeners, listeners might appreciate, like, what are some tips to just do, And this could be applicable to any creative person, really. It's just like, how do you, how did you market yourself in the beginning?
1: Um. So. I, there's two areas I think I'd want to dive into on that. Um, the first I'll go into, uh, marketing myself. Um, that came a little bit after this step, so I'll, I'll do it a little bit out of order, but, um, okay. the marketing myself, the canner writer, um, I credit, um, Dashita Dawson, who is a longtime cannabis advocate. She started out in Brooklyn. She's now across the U S and, um, advising i think in other countries as well she's heading up the um social equity and civic like program in portland oregon overseeing their whole cannabis social equity program um basically uh, same place where i met you actually at a Canagather gather event um yeah. she was i think it was the second Canagather gather event i ever went to second or third really early back in the day this is back before the new york marketing events really had you know hundreds of people showing up to each one so this is maybe a 50 person event at a 400 person seater so i got to sit up close and dashida um, she had at the time, um, her brand was the weed head and she still has that. And she's diversified into a few other ones as well. But, um, she said, you know, it's like, you gotta get something that's going to get people to notice you. You have to, you know, let people know right away what you are and what you want to do. And I was about five months into freelancing at that point, three months into knowing I wanted to work in cannabis. And I just started toying around on Instagram with like names that I could try out. And eventually I got the of canna- the cannabis writer. And then when I went on Twitter, the cannabis writer was taken. And the first thing she said was make sure you have a cohesive brand across all platforms if you can. Yeah. And so I went to go do it and I was like, all right, let's play around with it. And I was like, oh, the canner writer. And then I double checked it on Twitter, got that. And now I have that. I just added on TikTok, which is like an avenue I don't I never thought I'd be exploring, but is now a new place to get my articles out there Um yeah. So, yeah, so branding in that regards, um, that was where it all started it was Dashida. Uh Dishita Dawson is awesome. She's a great mind in the space. And I had worked in branding and stuff before, but I there was a disconnect because, you know, I just thought it's cannabis, it's freelance, it's different than the office life, but it really wasn't. Um, and it, it was the same thing. So establish a cohesive brand, if anyone, you know, you can still do it in cannabis. Um A lot of the puns are taken and things like that and stuff are gone, but you know, you can find you can find different ones Um, do that. And you also just with the way shadow banning is still going on on Instagram and social media platforms, you may even want to create a backup account for everything. So uh, maybe have a top two um but the other thing that i was going to say that i took over from the office life that i think um you know as a tip for a writer you know being a good writer besides just a cohesive brand um which also by way cohesive brand includes making a website um definitely just get a website and work on that and link that all up um there's much more nuanced than that like a great sure.
0: company below that does that in yeah. the description
1: <laughs> there we go yeah um <laughs> So, uh, but the other thing that's really important, and I think was the key to me, um, was I previously was working at a company called Anco, which was a freelance uh, backend management company. And at that company, I was doing uh, one of the three jobs I was doing for them was partnership management. So it was really where I got thrown into doing cold email outreach. And I think this is actually a testament too, to your side jobs that you know might not be the focus that you're looking into is try to take away the expert the um, experiences and the lessons that are beneficial from that job and how it could actually benefit you as a freelance brand. Um, One of the, one of the big things I learned there was how to just create partnerships through cold email. Um, I'd never had to do cold email before uh, working at ANCO. And I was doing a good, I would say probably about two to 400 emails a month, just trying to reach out to companies through, you know, various types of partnerships we were doing and taking phone calls and things like that. So basically Um, I knew I was going to get laid off in the company. It was kind of writing on the wall was coming. So I was preparing for everything and I didn't have everything in order when I did get laid off. But one of the things I knew right away was I'm going to take this same cold email outreach strategy and just start blasting the hell out of any company that I think could use my service in the cannabis space. And you what I did was I targeted um, member directories of company of uh, organizations that publicly list all their companies like uh yeah. NCIA is really great. They have and yep. NCIA will break them down into pay- um their uh like metal categories like bronze, silver, gold, platinum I think it is. And basically that's how you know who has the most money. You can look in that yeah. and say like okay, they're willing to spend x amount of dollars to be a platinum member here. They're, if you're qualified and you can present a, a package that shows them what they can get and the return on uh, working with you, they can do it. So that's what I started doing. I started pitching to businesses and publications at the same time using that same cold email strategy. So I think basically to kind of get back to what a writer needs to learn from that is, you know, take some business tips, even if you hate business, even if you think it's something you don't want to do, it's essential. Um, and if you don't do it, you're not going to end up succeeding as a writer as much as you can. And here's like the unfortunate fact, you're going to end up using those skills at a job that doesn't apply to writing because they're almost applicable to every job. So you might as well give it a shot. And, you know, you can always, once you reach a level of success, automate those roles off to people, it will take time to do that. But if you learn those skills now, you'll eventually generate the success and the money to eventually have other people handle those things for you. So you can go back to focusing and creating.
0: I love that so much. It's so true too like when when I first started this company, it was a hundred percent outbound, right? And then, yep. if you do your job, well, that number becomes eighty percent inbound, right Well as you grow, that number shifts to inbound. <clears throat> now we're at a point where the inbound has you know is is still chugging along but we're doing that cold outreach, right? We're going back to old school sales techniques. And the cool thing about being uh, creative people is that uh, we can come up with strategies that are probably more interesting than the exactly 5,000 cold emails that businesses get, you know, weekly.
1: Yeah, um, absolutely. And you know, I think the key to that, so sorry, are you gonna say?
0: No, 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 I was just gonna say, let's exchange cold email tips
1: yeah let, me, ahead, let me
0: hear let me hear what you got first
1: so like what, for, was,
0: what was what was the one thing you found um
1: work do not be, do not be formulaic like you can have um a template but if your template doesn't at least have one or two massive areas for customization to show that you actually research the company you're mm-hmm. very rarely going to book business um if you don't mention, you know, reading some articles recently in a publication that were good, or if you're going to pitch, like if you're pitching pu- article, okay, so put it this way, because uh, we'll approach from two different ways. If you're pitching publications, mm-hmm. if you're not mentioning recent articles that were pu- put out there and actually showing that you read them and actually gave a damn about them, um, or if you're not reading and checking the site to see if they've covered the topic that you're pitching and at least you know, recognizing or acknowledging how you're gonna build off it, you're gonna be in a lot of trouble. It's the the cut, they get pitched so much that they see that you're just like, hey, I'm blah, 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 and I wanna work for your publication. If you can't you know, put some customiz- customization to show that you read into it, it really shows you don't really have an eye for detail to really kind of get in there. Uh, and that applies to business as well. But with business, yes. it's a little different. Um, you can mention if there's a blog and things like that, for sure. The thing that I've always succeeded at because you know, content marketing is my Is The first one I look for is if you have a blog. If you don't have a blog or if it hasn't been updated recently, I say like, hey, that's the bread and butter I do. I work with that. And here's how, what I also then do is say like, Here's how I help with it. I've worked in SEO firms. I can show you the keyword optimization. If you need those lists, I can help you get them. If you have a list, I'm great at putting those keywords in, but let's also talk about your content funnel. Let's talk about how you can repurpose this content to be used on your social media, how this can be used on different channels. And basically one thing that I wanted from my side was making sure that they understood that it wasn't just a blog post, because if you look at it as just a blog post, I am expensive 100% and what a writer should charge is going to be looking like an expensive rate the job of the writer when pitching to a brand is not only looking at the company and seeing what they need and customizing to it but then also showing them what the value is to it by saying like hey i noticed that you have a blog it hadn't been updated since April 15th. Um, if you're looking for more consistent writing, I can help you out with that. But also my writing, I would be able to help you out, you know, with SEO optimization and how we might be able to use this content to be purposed on social media to help your inbound marketing. You say a couple sentences like that, string it together and actually know what you're talking about and put it into implementation. The companies will then be more inclined to want to work with you on that project. And you'll probably end up start booking, retaining deals uh, sooner than later.
0: That's perfect. In fact, that was... You said more, that was a long tip, but (laughs) that was a long tip. It was exactly the one I was going to say too. It's really the first cold email should have nothing to do with you. Yeah, it should be. I saw two three sentences at
1: most or less.
0: Yeah. I saw this thing. I read this article. Congrats on this award. I saw this LinkedIn post you did. It resonated with me because why? Uh, uh, And that's it. Right, yep. and, and then, then
1: ask if you want to have a phone call in the next week or two.
0: Totally, it's all about the consistency, the brevity. Because you're right, uh, being able to, uh, <laughs> especially as the owner of a company, like man, the amount. How of many emails co- a day do you get? Oh, I mean, a hundred for sure. Yeah. Um, and the thing that always stops me, even if I know, you know. Oh man, this is a SEO company on the other side of the planet. Or like, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm probably not going to work with these guys, but they're using tools like Vidyard now, or, you know, so like a video tool. So they're, they're that personal touch. It's starting to come in and and like through all levels of, of, you know, spam inbound, Mm -hmm. Um, but that's it. Like that, that personal touch showing that you like resonated with a thing that that company does. Um, Period. That's it. Send. Yeah. Next the next follow-up is that thing I saw made me think about this.
1: Yeah. And here's oh, yeah. Some, and
0: the problem I found.
1: And have your follow-ups. Yeah. That's a whole other game. I everyone's got a different strategy for those. I hate the aggressive follow-up. Some people love those follow-ups. So I would say, yeah, once you be sure to have your, your own uh strategy and kind of toy with it and implement it. But you know, like you just said, that's a great, you know, next step to it. And then Kind of tweak it from there. My favorite is then, you know, the third one. It, I usually get no success on the second email I've found out. And it's usually the third one where I was like, okay, now's not a great time. Totally understand. I was cold emailing you. I'm going to stop bothering you now. Here's a link to my latest book.
0: Here's my portfolio. And here's my LinkedIn.
1: And contact me whenever you'd like. And that is actually where I've generated a lot of success is my third email.
0: Yeah, totally. That's the one too. So, like, we, you know, we have, uh, so we've got a sales team, our, our you know, at Canada Planners. Um, there's a strategic outbound uh, strategy is that redundant or what there is a <laughs> outbound strategy uh, that we've thought out <laughs> um, but it is it's like cold email second email social touch LinkedIn touch call call call, yep. call, call email <laughs> social call 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 um, but the thing the thing that you just made me think of and, and this is a big part of what we are what i try to always talk about in this podcast which is like the uncomfort uncomfortability with certain aspect of business and uh even especially entrepreneurship like putting yourself into situations that you normally wouldn't find yourself in right like even sending a cold email like it feels weird right like why does this oh, person yeah. want to hear from me they don't know me from anybody like what do i like like the that sort of thing <laughs> is an like that's a that's a cancer in the mind of uh you know the an entrepreneur how did you uh get past all that aside from like you, well let me I'll, me first so for me it was it was purely survival like i was th- you know planners yeah. happened pretty quickly meaning like i had a job and then i didn't and then can <laughs> you know yeah very similar. it, very it similar. was kind of that so it was purely um a a Let's address the elephant in the room. You live in New York City. Yeah, your apartment is slightly bigger than your body. It's a be yeah. a joke. It's 400 degrees in your apartment.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm trying. I got glistening cheeks right it's now, okay. man. It's I uh, just
0: wanted to address it so people don't think. Yeah, it's weird. I'm,
1: <laughs> I'm like dabbing off like a like a stressed Southern gentleman right now. This is I, part
0: uh, of living in New York. You don't.
1: Yeah. You
0: you want to die in the summers, <laughs> and while recording,
1: my fan made just enough noise. I was like, I can't have this, or it's going to ruin recording. So I'm going to shine on. Turn right
0: the now. fan on. No one's watching anyway.
1: <laughs> no, we'll make it work. We'll make it work. I'm committed to this. But no, um, um, I think yeah, you are right. about
0: right? Those those early fears of of you know, th- there's either I need to. I, I'm being thrown into this or i'm interested in this but i'm reticent because i'm self-conscious about x y and z
1: yeah i mean if you're self-conscious of it on I'm, I'm gonna be blunt you're gonna have to get over it or you're not gonna succeed it's it's you're just that blunt, type of industry talk talk more because i think you're absolutely right i mean yeah i mean i've didn't want to do this, I wouldn't have followed this path. If I didn't have to, but yeah, survival. I, I always say I do my best when my back's up against the wall. Um, Absolutely. even like Most people do. I, the last few months, I haven't hit my goal of sending out, like, I still do a lot of outbound. Um, even though I get good word of mouth outbound, I like to do because it helps me expand my reach in the industry. And, you know, it gives Random. me confidence, honestly. Yeah. And it gives me more confidence too. When I find companies that I didn't think otherwise would have reached out. Um, you know, I recently worked with a, a dispensary, in Ohio, that never would have found me otherwise. So it's fun. I like it. It's a good booster. Um, I didn't want to do it originally, but I did it because my back was against the law. If I didn't succeed, um, and I was using upwork and stuff, and I was using a couple other models, and really it just wasn't working. And if I didn't find business in the next three months, I was gonna to have to go back to finding a full-time office job because I just wasn't gonna be able to survive and live in New York at that point. Um, so you know, I I embraced the the outreach. I did it. You know, it's not fun at first. It's awkward, you know, um, yeah. you know, but I, I would say it's just like anything. The more you do it, the more, as long as you do it right, and you don't come at it from it's a disrespectful, you know, uninformed, stupid sort of approach. Yeah. You got a chance to succeed. You got a chance to do well and you'll learn from your mistakes and do better. It's like, honestly, it's like dating, to be honest, it's go out there. It really un- is. Yeah. Approach, approach it fair, approach it respectful. Try to learn a bit about the person. A lot of times it's not going to work out, but you will succeed at times. And, you know, just keep trying and learn from your mistakes and do better at it.
0: Andrew Ward, good for you. Keep trying, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) And
1: as I note in the book, I'm a 35 year old man living in New York without a relationship. So I don't know shit about that aspect of what I'm talking about. But I can do something right though. (laughs) I can make the analogy.
0: Uh, Well, it's a it's a good analogy, though. It's absolutely like that. It's it's there's some weirdness in, in the approach. Uh, just like there is in the dating scene, uh, you you usually fumble over your words a few times. You usually have a pitch (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) for both. Everyone's
1: got an elevator pitch on both sides.
0: You got an elevator pitch. You got a, you know, a one-liner, whatever it is. But I think like it, it really is like that. I think that's, I I mean, I've never once thought of like made that connection, but yeah, it's, it's a weird thing and you're only going to be good. You're only going to get better the more you do it
1: yeah and especially
0: the things you don't want to do
1: Mm -hmm. yeah and a lot of times you're going to say you know this company has no interest in you know hearing from me and sort of stuff like that and you know figure out how you can get them to uh, want to work with you you know and sometimes they have no interest and walk away if they don't but you know i a lot of times i like reaching out to companies that seem like they have no shot or interest in reaching out to me or and hearing from me and you know i'll tell them it's like you might not be interested. If that's the case, I'll stop emailing you in a week or two. Um, but, you know, I've had a lot of those companies will look at it and say, like, let's set up a phone call and let's talk about it and at least see, you know, if we can work together. And, you know, those it, are the it wins. never hurts to try. It, at most, you're sending no. like three emails over the course of a month or however your strategy is. And, you know, you go from there. It's not hard.
0: It doesn't take effort. And it could turn into a living. Absolutely. One hundred percent. Your first book cannabis yeah. jobs how to make a living and have a career in the world of legalized marijuana is very appropriate for this podcast since that's what we talk about yeah uh, almost always not only uh having a job but potentially making a career for yourself or, or building a business uh we we definitely talk about employment here, uh, hugely important. But p- and people always ask me, and I'm sure they ask you, how do I get into the cannabis business? You know, industry. Uh, Just I hear a that, few times. Yeah, I hear that exact word-for-word word question all the time. How do people get into the cannabis industry?
1: Uh, show up. That's the first rule is show up. Um, attend events. Now that the world is getting back to it, you know, go to local interest meetings.
0: Um, Not wait to go to events, man
1: yeah i mean i'm an introvert i have not really missed not going to as many i would have liked to have gone to some you know so it is nice to start doing that again but you know go to the digital events too you know reach out um still attend these sort of things that's always the big one um but then it's it's a wide open field you know it depends on the career path you want to get into um if you have experience in another profession you probably can bring it over here um You know, depending on the demand of the state and the market, that'll vary a little bit. But, you know, everyone from C-suite executives to cultivation to processing and so many others, they're all in demand. So there's an opportunity there. Um, College courses are starting to come online more. There's a few majors. There's a lot more minors and select courses you can take. Um, which cannabis jobs is a part of in Stockton University, so that's a cool little thing that I never would have thought would happen.
0: Um, that's totally you know, so awesome.
1: Yeah, it's weird. I've spoke to a, You're in a curriculum dude. <laughs> no idea what I'm doing when I speak to those people. I appreciate it. They say it's helpful. I think it, I would probably hate it, but okay. Yeah, it works. They say it helps. Um, but yeah, I've
0: been, I've been a guest lecturer at a couple of universities in Vermont, you know, because cannabis, and it is a weird thing. It is definitely a weird thing. <laughs> man, it's,
1: it's nuts to do those sort of things. Like I, I feel like that is one of the more surreal ones is like asked to be at a lecture. I was like, I was a C student, man. I don't know. Yeah. Like, (laughs) I mean, I, I, I can navigate writing and running a freelance business outside of that. I don't know. So sure. Okay. I'll come in and talk to you, but like, that's another thing It's a testament to you. Don't have to be the smartest person in the world to succeed. You just have to be really good and hardworking and open minded to succeed. You know, I mean, don't try to be a doctor with that mentality, but you could definitely no. be a, a, <laughs> a, a digital you could definitely a, be a digital writer, you know. Um, yeah, don't be a doctor, please. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but also, you know, hey, uh, if you want to do it from a social media management perspective, or you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of different areas that you can do it in. Um, you know, just kind of come with it from an open mind. You know, you do need to be smarter, at least, you know, wise to a certain degree but you know just be hardworking, open-minded ask questions and you know be not be nice to people as best as you can don't let people step on you but be nice to people
0: absolutely especially in this industry man like it's still so nascent but i remember like when you and i first met at a canna gather um that that was like one of those experiences for me where it was like okay i'm going to take this i'm going to step out of the cannabis closet and kind of show you know wave my flag in the real world for for the night and see how that and and lo and behold there's a community there so yeah there's a lot there's a lot of people making that first step when when you go to your first event you're not alone you're definitely not alone there
1: yeah although i will say now there's starting to become more and more people so get in if you can now because um it's the interest is peaking it feels like i mean it'll still grow but that inflow it's not As unique to see a room full of newcomers, it's, you know, now you see maybe half of the room is full of newcomers or even less. So there are a lot more veteran faces, but that's also the fun thing to start showing up to events, because then you'll start to realize like, who in the room is, you know, the ones to know, or, you know, who are the, you know, the really good people or who are the ones that, you know, might have more idealistic business or advocacy goals than what they're actually putting into work. And, you know, you'll see a little bit of the lip service and you know, you'll know, you start to figure out what is, you know, the market because uh, cannabis has taken shape. And even back when we first met, it was, but now it's just amplified to, I don't know, totally. 10, 20 fold. And it's only going to grow more and more as New York legalized and the rest of the country does.
0: Totally. I think back to those times and it seems like, You know, it's like dog years, like one year in the cannabis industry is like seven years in the real world or whatever. But um, oh, yeah. Like and so much has happened. But the idea of people like you and I who had a skill set that. For all intents and purposes, had nothing to do with cannabis, but we were able to recognize. The need in this industry that we knew we wanted to be in no matter what we weren't going to grow plants i kill plants we weren't gonna you know build dispensaries or whatever but we could do this one skill that we knew would be helpful in the industry yeah Uh, it i mean i love that that it's just such a it's such a romantic tale i i interviewed uh tito burn who is the uh head of the burn gallery which is a, a glass shop in in burlington vermont and he said something to me at the time that was just like so shocking which was don't do what you love do what you're good at and apply it to what you love and i was like damn man that sounds controversial but it's not at all don't do what you yeah. love, or else you're gonna be like me and you're gonna be heartbroken when you realize that you suck at what you love <laughs>
1: I mean, try it, what you love, but if you got to be realistic about it, you know Um, you don't ever have to give up what you love and you could succeed later on, but like, don't, stunt yourself because of it, you know, like, we're, you know, going back even to the other jobs, you know, you can take a job that has nothing that applies to what you're looking to do as long as you don't give up on what your end game is, you know, and that's the tough thing. And a lot of people do get sidetracked. And that was one thing that like made me depressed early on out of college because I graduated from the recession and it was like, I'm working for enterprise, rent a car. I have no idea what kind of rent writing I want to do. I haven't written a script in years. And this was the one thing that I thought I was doing at the time. And, you know, it, you know, it beat me up after a while, but then I pulled myself out of it and I started writing for a blog. And that was the first step to realizing I wanted to get back into writing. It took four years from there. Actually, no, it took five, six years to get back from there to getting into paid writing and cannabis and stuff like that. So, you know, it's, um, it's incremental and, um, you know, do what you love for sure. And if you're not getting paid for it, you know, you can work on it, but maybe, yeah, do something you're good at too, along the way, or at least something that's going to be good at paying you money.
0: Definitely. Most importantly, Uh, you are the second guest (laughs) that we've had uh, to discuss cannabis etiquette. Um, Sweet. First was Lizzie Post, who is a etiquette expert. Yeah. uh, Who applied her expertise to cannabis. Uh, I would say that you're a cannabis expert. (laughs) <laughs> apply but not an
1: etiquette expert <laughs>
0: <laughs> trying to, trying to uh identify proper etiquette can you can what drew you to this topic here's the book by the way we will link it in, in it is a beautiful book i yeah, read thank you. it in like an afternoon the other day um, oh no, thanks so it it was a it was a good read um what what drew you to that
1: um my publisher um to be completely honest here's here's a
0: hot topic (laughs) yeah
1: yeah. well that's what they that was cannabis jobs too like I said you know I did not follow the traditional writing route um I didn't pitch the books I would love to have done that um it's time consuming I just never had the time or the money to sacrifice to do that and I was never a great book writer so I just kind of assumed it was never going to happen so Skyhorse reached out to me about cannabis jobs we're finishing up cannabis jobs and they uh, mentioned etiquette as well and the way they wanted to do the etiquette book was actually in the style of Emily Post in, you know, the more that Grand Victorian, you know, that yeah. old era. Well, I think it was like a, a Lizzie's Lizzie great grandmother. <laughs> yeah, 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 well, that was the, well, that was <laughs> the funny thing about it was, no, they wanted to go like, more character driven than even that where it was like we're gonna do this voice and you know i tried i i spent a month and a half outlining this thing and we worked back and forth on it and the first day i went to write it um i was just like this feels fake as hell and honestly it was like it's gonna either be a really stupid book if i have to follow this and you're gonna hate it or I'm just going to feel like a shill and I'm going to quit cannabis because people are going to make fun of me for this book. <laughs> um, and um, credit to my editors at Skyhorse, they were open to it. And I was just like, look, why don't you just let me write the book as someone who's worked at the New York cannabis scene for the last four years and has smoked weed since they were you know, 18 and knows you know, a thing or two about the industry from one way or another. And they ran with it. And um, yeah, we went with that. And the funny thing is, we were writing the book and we just finished the first produ- uh, fast, pass of the book. I just handed it in or somewhere around that time. And that's when they found out that Lizzie was writing her book. And they're like, yeah, so this is happening. And we kind of went into a hold pattern until we can get a hold of uh, higher etiquette, I think it's called, right? Yep. And um, yeah, and um, we read it and it's a it's a great book. People should definitely yeah. check it out. It's a different take. But thankfully, we already knew we had a different style to what we were going to put in there. Like There was going to be some general rules that would overlap, but... We knew that Lizzie was coming from a different perspective of the cannabis community um, and a different level of expertise from etiquette, obviously. Yeah, so exactly. we kind of just, um, yeah, so we just kind of doubled down on that. I actually it made it even more so for me able to tap into some of the areas in the book that I don't think a lot of uh, cannabis etiquette, like blog posts or books, talk about. So I really ramped up talking about, you know, yeah, respecting they're, they're nature. Yeah, for sure. Sex, different, sex, books. Yeah, yeah, so. different books. Yeah, definitely
0: different books.
1: Yeah. So, uh, I I recommend picking up Lizzie's, but you know, we, we just tried to be a little different from her and, uh,
0: yeah, it kind of was a unique process to how it all came along. That's awesome. I mean, here it is. It's beautiful. Good, good work. It's, it's fun to have a physical thing, right? It's it's still a good feeling. It's not, it's not just out on a Kindle.
1: Oh yeah. yeah. Everyone asks about getting it on a Kindle. It's like, okay, go for it. I don't, I don't use a Kindle, not because I'm like some Brooklyn tech hipster. It's more just, I like holding a book and yeah, it's fun. It's nice. I have a bookshelf and I have my books on the front of the shelf. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And it's my, two of them are mine. So I was like, cool. All right. This is, this is fun. Yeah. I have a a bookshelf too, Andrew, uh, with books on it. And also two of them are yours. So thank
1: you. I hope more people can say that soon.
0: (laughs) Well, it's it's a fun talking description piece. and we'll, we'll definitely hopefully get some people to, to buy the book.
1: I appreciate um, it. Yeah. Thank you.
0: What, what was there a particular challenge? Like just something that like you couldn't figure out in, in working through the book?
1: Um, besides honestly, the voice was definitely the toughest part. I just, once I got past the authenticity block, it really wasn't hard. Um, There were, through edits, we were moving uh, rules around. Um, There were some areas where there's a lot of overlap. You'll even see there's some kind of redundant uh, rules in some sections just because, you know, they're the same rule but there's one little tweak to them that you know right. for guests and hosts right. so like you couldn't put them in one chapter or other so it was more just logistically trying to figure out where to put each thing um and then of course it was just trying to make sure we covered everything um mm-hmm. I haven't gotten a ton of feedback yet but I'm sure there's people going to be saying you know we definitely miss slang we definitely missed some rules um didn't cover a certain perspective you know so we just tried to make sure we covered as much as we could and uh um Jason let me do much of that um my editor Skyhorse and then he filled in the v- gaps he was pretty informed about the cannabis community as well so he gave some good ones that weren't there and then you know relied on the industry as well and got some insights from friends and uh writers and you know other folks in the space and uh, kind of co- helped round it out so you know it was a challenge but um nothing that was too out of the reach especially i would say after what cannabis jobs was where it was just so much interviewing and transcribing and turning it into an article it felt like it was a lot more labor-intensive cannabis uh marijuana etiquette was a little bit longer of a period of time to write it and um it was a little bit more of a fun process so you know the challenges felt like you know small hurdles
0: really well it's awesome i i hope uh you sell a million of them. On the Thanks. There's there's one chapter in here that I'd like to discuss as we let's pull this podcast to a close. It is the uh, how to roll a joint.
1: Okay. So yeah.
0: If I if I can, I'm gonna try to move my camera without totally screwing this up. I'm gonna roll it on your book. All right. Cause that's the dream. When I first put out my, I, I, I put out a, you know, a bunch of albums in my musical life. Hi. Uh, and uh, one of the best feelings is rolling a joint on your own album or book. All right. I guess that's the best I can do with this. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. There's my hand. You're going to see, we're going to edit all this shit out.
1: <laughs> it's cool, man. It's a, it's a unique <laughs> POV.
0: I'm going to get it. There it is. Okay. So got my book. I've got a little material here.
1: Nice, nice good material. I
0: don't, I don't mess around. I don't know what it is. All right. Okay. I am a terrible joint roller. I gra- I, I grinded up the weed. Ground? The weed is grinded. The weed <laughs> is now It's grinded. It's grounded and grinded. what's my my next uh i got uh, should i use the tips so i I will tip or no tip i would i crutch
1: the hell out of it i'm going to need every little bit of help i can get when rolling a joint Um, have you ever
0: instructed how to roll a joint over zoom before i
1: haven't um no i i'm i'm trying to actually find my joint rolling implements just to show you what i usually do i have a grinder that automatically has a poor spell, and then it goes into a one hitter and this is my joint because i'm shit at rolling because <laughs>
0: you're a techie hipster from brooklyn
1: I, yeah sure i mean this is just <laughs> the perk of working in the industry the company sent me this uh that's it's awesome. awesome yeah no um that's awesome go work and weed they'll send you a lot of cool products seriously um, they will yeah. Um, so I will help okay. you roll a joint, but I am let's do terrible it bottom. My editor made me put the rolling tips in there and I was like, I don't think that's etiquette and I'm not good at this. And he's like, do it anyway. I was like, okay, fuck, we're gonna try. Well, it's um, gonna make
0: for it's gonna either make for really good or really crappy content right now.
1: Cool. All right, great. <laughs> um, so you are going to put your folded up cardboard into the one end of the uh folded paper, and that's that'll it. be your crutch. Yes, that's gonna be your crutch. Um. Just put that into the crease for now. I would say. Okay. Um, so, I'm the, this. yeah, I'm, this is going to be bad, man. Um, so what you're going to do is with the crutch in the crease, you're then going to take your ground weed and modestly put that into the uh, to the crease as well, filling up most of the line, leaving a little bit of space at the end so you can twist up the paper. All right. So don't overfill it, because then it'll make rolling tough. Uh, Yeah, and then even it out so that where your crutch is, um, the flower starts, and then you get kind of like an even line all the way through. And if you have an excess, kind of pour that back into the grinder, uh, just so you have a nice, even, full line, but that it's not going to burst. All right, so now this is where I have never been good at it. Um, So what you're going to do is you're going to take your um, paper, and you're going to uh, fold it so you're gonna start fold rolling it, it. you're yeah, fold, yeah so you you have the sticky side of the paper and then you have I the think non-sticky I did side yes yeah, so take the non-sticky sticky side and, and roll it until with the contents inside until you get to a little bit of space with the sticky side and then you're going to lick it like you would an envelope and then fold that paper tight so yeah, you're going to start twisting that yeah so you're going to take that non-sticky side of the paper and start rolling your flour into a tight but not too tight uh, tube, kind of like you'd be rolling a cigarette.
0: I, got, I think
1: I actually got this. All right, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. See, I usually have confidence until I'm done and then it all like falls out because I was too loose. Yeah, it gets too loose. So you want to make it tight, but not too tight that you can't pull. I got a
0: little But if you make it too loose... There.
1: Is that okay? Uh, I think, yeah, let's say this. Let's say it is. Say it is. <laughs> this is why I say everyone should have a bowl, but let's, yeah, let's okay. go for this and see what happens. All right, all right so it. once you... So now you're going to not soak it, but you're going to lick the um, the sticky side like you would an envelope. And then you're going to fold that over onto the joint, making sure it's a tight, but not too tight um, cone around it. All right. And then last thing you want to do is just twist up the excess paper at the top. So pat that down if you have any pot in there and then twist that up. And then you should be able to light it. And if this is what's going to determine if you want to buy my book or not, you're not going to buy my book because this is a terrible advice. Buy
0: this guy's book. I suck at rolling joints. And look at how good that joint is.
1: Buy my book, but not based on any of my rolling skills because that is the worst advice you'll get. Definitely unauthentic. How'd that look? Okay, that's not bad. I think, it's it's a, it, I, I think you're a lot better at it than my tips were, but um, I'm going to I'm gonna say yeah. I'm going to say sure. This I'll, I'll hang yeah, my hat on this. For
0: the sake first. of content, I lied and said I never rolled a joint before. Oh, but I'm, maybe. I'm glad you walked me through it because now I feel more confident in it.
1: I was Yeah, that looks a lot better than I've ever done. So uh, it might be just, some, you know, behind the scenes magic there. But uh, yeah. Uh, other it's than like, that, yeah. I'll say a lot it's of the like advice cooking is good.
0: Sh- It's like a cooking show. We had, uh, we had the uh, ready-made. I already go. I just I yeah. did, I did the swap <laughs> yeah. out. That's what they call it, the swap out. It's
1: nice. It, it was smooth, man. It was smooth. I got to learn from you how to do that.
0: Uh Andrew Ward, it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you for helping me roll a joint, which I'm now gonna go enjoy. Uh tell the people listening where they can find you, where they can engage with you.
1: Yeah, well, Will, thanks for having me. It was great catching up with you. Um yeah, yeah you can follow me on social media, Instagram, Twitter, and I'm also gonna be launching on TikTok at the Canawriter um, on all those. Um, if you feel like you want to send me uh, any tips or anything, you can visit my website. I am com. Just visit the contact page and you'll be emailing me directly. Um, yeah, we can start
0: talking about stories. Um, but yeah, thanks for the support. And uh, I hope you enjoy the book. If you pick it up. Andrew, it's been a pleasure talking to you. The book again is called it's covered in pot as it should be <laughs> the art of marijuana etiquette a sophisticated guide to the high life. The author is Andrew Ward. He's been our guest today and I appreciate him very much. Thank you so much for joining us, everybody. We will see you next time. I'm going to go get down on this. Bye. (laughs)